Chapter One of The Stainless Steel Rat, the novel, by Harry Harrison. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Stainless Steel Rat, the novel, Chapter One. When the office door opened suddenly, I knew the game was up. It had been a money-maker, but it was all over. As the cop walked in, I sat back in the chair and put on a happy grin. He had the same somber expression and heavy foot that they all have, and the same lack of humor. I almost knew to the word what he was going to say before he uttered a syllable. "'James Boulevard degrees, I arrest you on the charge—' I was waiting for the word charge. I thought it made a nice touch that way. As he said it, I pressed the button that set off the charge of black powder in the ceiling. The cross-beam buckled, and the three-ton safe dropped through right on the top of the cop's head. He squashed very nicely, thank you. The cloud of plaster dust settled, and all I could see of him was one hand slightly crumpled. It twitched a bit, and the index finger pointed at me accusingly. His voice was a little muffled by the safe and sounded a bit annoyed. In fact, he repeated himself a bit. On the charge of illegal entry, theft, forgery. He ran on like that for quite a while. It was an impressive list, but I had heard it all before. I didn't let it interfere with my stuffing all the money from the desk drawers into my suitcase. The list ended with a new charge, and I would swear on a stack of thousand-credit notes that high that there was a hurt note in his voice. In addition, the charge of assaulting a police robot will be added to your record. This was foolish, since my brain and larynx are armored and in my midsection. That I know well, George, but your little two-way radio is in the top of your pointed head, and I don't want you reporting to your friends just yet. One good kick knocked the escape panel out of the wall and gave access to the steps to the basement. As I skirted the rubble on the floor, the robot's fingers snapped out at my leg, but I had been waiting for that, and they closed about two inches short. I have been followed by enough police robots to know by now how indestructible they are. You can blow them up or knock them down, and they keep coming after you dragging themselves by one good finger and spouting saccharine morality all the while. That's what this one was doing. Give up my life of crime and pay my debt to society and such. I could still hear his voice echoing down the stairwell as I reached the basement. Every second was timed now. I had about three minutes before they would be on my tail, and it would take me exactly one minute and eight seconds to get clear of the building. That wasn't much of a lead, and I would need all of it. Another kick panel opened out into the label removing room. None of the robots looked up as I moved down the aisle. I would have been surprised if they had. They were all low-grade M-types, short on brains, and good only for simple, repetitive work. That was why I hired them. They had no curiosity as to why they were taking the labels off the filled cans of azote fruits or what was at the other end of the moving belt that brought the cans through the wall. They didn't even look up when I unlocked the door that was never unlocked that led through the wall. 
I left it open behind me, as I had no more secrets now. Keeping next to the rumbling belt, I stepped through the jagged hole I had chopped in the wall of the government warehouse. I had installed the belt, too. This and the hole were the illegal acts that I had to do myself. Another locked door opened into the warehouse. The automatic forklift truck was busily piling cans onto the belt and digging fresh ones out of the ceiling-high piles. This forklift had hardly enough brains to be called a robot. It just followed tape directions to load the cans. I stepped around it and dog-trotted down the aisle. Behind me the sounds of my illegal activity died away. It gave me a warm feeling to still hear it going on full blast like that. It had been one of the nicest little rackets I had ever managed. For a small capital outlay I had rented the warehouse that backed on the government warehouse. A simple hole in the wall and I had access to the entire stock of stored goods, long-term supplies that I knew would be untouched for months or years in a warehouse this size. Untouched, that is, until I came along. After the hole had been made and the belt installed, it was just a matter of business. I hired the robots to remove the old labels and substitute the colorful ones I had printed. Then I marketed my goods in a strictly legal fashion. My stock was the best, and due to my imaginative operation my costs were very low. I could afford to undersell my competitors and still make a handsome profit. The local wholesalers had been quick to sense a bargain, and I had orders for months ahead. It had been a good operation, and could have gone on for quite a while. I stifled that train of thought before it started. One lesson that has to be remembered in my line of business is that when an operation is over, it is over. The temptation to stay just one more day or to cash just one more check can be almost overwhelming. Ah, how well I know! I also know that it is also the best way to get better acquainted with the police. Turn your back and walk away, and live to graft another day. That's my motto, and it's a good one. I got where I am because I stuck to it. And daydreams aren't part of getting away from the police. I pushed all my thoughts from my mind as I reached the end of the aisle. The entire area outside must have been swarming with cops by this time, and I had to move fast and make no mistakes. A fast look right and left. Nobody in sight. Two steps ahead and press the elevator button. I had put a meter on this back elevator, and it showed that the thing was used once a month on the average. It arrived in about three seconds, empty and I jumped in, thumbing the roof button at the same time. The ride seemed to go on forever, but that was just subjective. By the record, it was exactly fourteen seconds. This was the most dangerous part of the trip. I tightened up as the elevator slowed. My seventy-five caliber recoilless was in my hand. That would take care of one cop, but no more. The door shuffled open, and I relaxed. Nothing. They must have the entire area covered on the ground so they hadn't bothered to put cops on the roof. In the open air now I could hear the sirens for the first time. A wonderful sound. They must have had half of the entire police force out from the amount of noise they were making. 
I accepted it as any artist accepts tribute. The board was behind the elevator shaft where I had left it. A little weather-stained, but still strong. A few seconds to carry it to the edge of the parapet and reach it across to the next building. Gently, this was the one dangerous spot where speed didn't count. Carefully on to the end of the board, the suitcase held against my chest to keep my center of gravity over the board. One step at a time. A thousand-foot drop to the ground. If you don't look down, you can't fall. Over. Time for speed. The board behind the parapet, if they didn't see it at first, my trail would be covered for a while at least. Ten fast steps and there was the door to the stairwell. It opened easily, and it better have. I had put enough oil on the hinges. Once inside, I threw the bolt and took a long, deep breath. I wasn't out of it yet, but the worst part where I ran the most risk was past. Two uninterrupted minutes here, and they would never find James Bolivar, alias Slippery Jim, degrees. The stairwell at the roof was a musty, badly lit cubicle that was never visited. I had checked it carefully a week before for phono and optic bugs, and it had been clear. The dust looked undisturbed except for my own footprints. I had to take a chance that it hadn't been bugged since then. The calculated risk must be accepted in this business. Goodbye, James Degrees. Weight, ninety-eight kilos, age about forty-five, thick in the middle and heavy in the jowls, a typical businessman whose picture graces the police files of a thousand planets. Also, his fingerprints. They went first. When you wear them, they feel like a second skin. A touch of solvent, though, and they peel off like a pair of transparent gloves. All my clothes next. And then the girdle in reverse. That lovely paunch that straps around my belly and holds twenty kilos of lead mixed with thermite. A quick wipe from the bottle of bleach and my hair was its natural shade of brown. The eyebrows, too. The nose-plugs and cheek-pads hurt coming out but that only lasts a second. Then the blue-eyed contact lenses. This process leaves me mother-naked, and I always feel as if I had been born again. In a sense, it is true. I had become a new man, twenty kilos lighter, ten years younger, and with a completely different description. The large suitcase held a complete change of clothes and a pair of dark-rimmed glasses that replaced the contact lenses. All the loose money fitted neatly into a briefcase. When I straightened up I really felt as if ten years had been stripped from me. I was so used to wearing that weight that I never noticed it, until it was gone. Put a real spring in my step. The thermite would take care of all the evidence. I kicked it all into a heap and triggered the fuse. It caught with a roar, and bottles, clothes, bags, shoes, weights at all burned with a cheerful glare. The police would find a charred spot on the cement, and microanalysis might get them a few molecules off the walls, but that was all they would get. The glare of the burning thermite threw jumping shadows around me as I walked down three flights to the 112th floor. Luck was still with me. There was no one on the floor when I opened the door. One minute later, the express elevator let me and a handful of other business types out into the lobby. Only one door was open to the street, and a portable TV camera was trained on it. 
No attempt was being made to stop people from going in and out of the building. Most of them didn't even notice the camera and a little group of cops around it. I walked towards it at an even pace. Strong nerves count for a lot in this business. For one instant I was square in the field of that cold glass eye, then I was past. Nothing happened, so I knew I was clear. That camera must have fed directly to the main computer at police headquarters. If my description had been close enough to the one they had on file, those robots would have been notified, and I would have been pinned before I had taken a step. You can't outmove a computer-robot combination, not when they move and react in microseconds, but you can outthink them. I had done it again. A cab took me about ten blocks away. I waited until it was out of sight, then took another one. It wasn't until I was in the third cab that I felt safe enough to go to the space terminal. The sounds of sirens were growing fainter and fainter behind me, and only an occasional police car tore by in the opposite direction. They were sure making a big fuss over a little larceny, but that's the way it goes on these over-civilized worlds. Crime is such a rarity now that the police really get carried away when they run across some. In a way, I can't blame them. Giving out traffic tickets must be an awfully dull job. I really believe they ought to thank me for putting a little excitement in their otherwise dull lives. End of chapter 1